So the reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 2. There's two little snippets. One is verse 22 to 24, and then the second is 36 to 41. On your pew Bibles, it's on page 1093, and if you want a large print version, they're above the cubby holes over there. So Acts 2, verse 22. Yay. That's different from what it says here. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Um, it's really lovely to um, be here again and see you all. Um, now, as you know, Mike and I have recently just come back from Rwanda, where we spent an amazing 10 days hosted by Tear Fund. Um, and as they sort of showed us some of the projects out there, and we got to meet some of the people and so on. Today, we had decided would be a bit of a um, Rwanda debrief. And it just so happened that we had um, some friends from Rwanda in England. The, um, the two people who work in the Tear Fund office in Rwanda were already, had already planned to be in Teddington, where Tear Fund was sort of holding a conference and they're visiting various churches and so on. So I've taken the sneaky opportunity to invite them today, which is fantastic. Now, just before they come up, I know Mike's going to come up too, aren't you? <laughs> Mike, do you want to add anything at this point? You, uh, it, we have Panina and Godfrey here. We have Panina and Godfrey. And, uh, Definitely not married to each other. <laughs> and, um, I just wanted to say you both are so... I just wanted to say you both are so very, very welcome. And it's lovely to have you here. And why not come up? Are we going to give these guys a big round of applause? Come on. Is it just Panina? And Godfrey. Godfrey, don't be shy. <laughs> and I know Bex is going to... We're going to try and do this in quite an informal way. Bex is going to interview both. Okay. But I'd love to pray for you both. And these two are extraordinary people. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're doing amazing work in Rwanda, 
to lift the name of Jesus high, to bring restoration to the country, to fellow countrymen and women. And we are in the presence of legends uh, this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so uh, I'd love to pray and just lift you both up to God before Bex does a little informal interview. So Father, we want to praise you for Penina and Godfrey. We want to really pray this morning that they would know that they're very welcome in our church. It's your church, your global church. And Lord, we want to praise you for their hearts, for people, for the way you're using them so powerfully through the work of Tear Fund, for your incredible work through them as they've journeyed through very difficult times and good times too. And we want to welcome them and praise you for this opportunity to be with them this morning. Amen. Amen. So welcome. Can I just ask one question, Bex? It's the most no. It's not the most important question, but are <laughs> yes. you both warm enough? <laughs> that was something we, we, we spoke about, wasn't it? Um, just before we launch in, I do want to hear if you're warm enough. But um, one of the, a real, we had so many highlights on the trip. But one real highlight was um, that we got to visit Penina and her husband Antoine's church that they lead in uh, Romero, which is an area in Kigali. They have a church of about 2,000 people, and it was just amazing to be a. Um, worshipping the same God, the same King of Kings, the same Lord of Lords on the other side of the world. Um, and it was just really incredible. And at that point, we had no idea that we would be able to do the, the same thing here. And we had the most amazing welcome. So can we just give these guys a massive round of applause, please? <laughs> It is a real honour to have you both, and we've been so looking forward to it. So um, just as we start, maybe as well as telling us if you are actually warm enough, you could just introduce yourself, say a little, a little something about yourselves, your family, something like that. Okay. And, oh, I have this. Morning, church. I'm Penina Kaitesi Rutaisire. Those are my names. And uh, I'm a pastor's wife. I'm a mother of many children. <laughs> How many, Penina? Tell us the truth. Uh, I wanted to say that. Uh, my biological ones are four. Uh, and because of the genocide, we fostered other six. So the total is ten. Uh, among the ten, six of them are married, and four are not yet married. I have also grandchildren. I'm blessed. Uh, you don't okay. look old enough, Panina, to be having grandchildren. It's <laughs> yes, not fair. I, I, I have them. Uh, what else I can say? I'm married to a pastor. A pastor. My husband is a pastor. He's leading uh, an Anglican church parish called St. Peter's Church. And I'm a pastor's wife as well. And um, at this point, we have to say, everywhere where we went in Rwanda, everybody knew... 
Pastor Antoine and Panina. They're, they're famous in Rwanda. And everyone said to us, Pastor Antoine is the best preacher in Rwanda. And we did get to hear him speak. And do you know what? He was brilliant. So I just want to um, say that because I'm not sure you're going to sell it in the same way. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. So, Godfrey, would you like to um, introduce yourself? Thank you. Uh, yes. Um, praise God. We have, we have to say hallelujah or something like that. That's the response, uh, church. Let's practice. Let's try again, Godfrey. Yes. Um, I'm really humbled uh, and honored to be here. Thank you, Mike and Bex, for inviting us this morning. It's, it's really, really a great um, opportunity to visit this church, beautiful church and beautiful country. So I'm um, called Godfrey, as you have heard. Gakwandi. My surname is a bit a complicated name because it's pure Af African name. <laughs> So I'm married to one wife, and I uh, have two lovely daughters and one son. The old is, um, is called Kesia. She's uh, nine years and one month. The second is um, Kevin. It's more of a British name. Um, he's six years and three months. Then the last born is a daughter. She's called Kesia. She's two years and six months. So. I'm really happy to, I'm so happy to be here. And uh, I'm working for Tier Fund in Rwanda, um, together with my colleague Penina. And um, uh, I go to Penina's church, so we go into the same church. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, keep a hold of the mic for a moment. Um, so for people who don't really know what Rwanda is like, maybe Godfrey, you could tell us just briefly, what, what is Rwanda as a country like? Thank you. Um, Rwanda. Can you allow us to show them two pictures before we talk about Rwanda? Of course then. we can, Panina. You're the boss. Okay. <laughs> uh, can you please, uh, yeah. This is a photo after genocide. Because Rwanda is a country where we have genocide. Have you heard about it? Okay. This is a photo, a very horrible photo. This is how Rwanda looks like after genocide. Another one, please. Now this is our city, Chigari. Uh, it's the cleanest city in Africa, and we are really uh, praising God because after the ashes, now we have life. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Sorry, you, Penina. Sorry, did tell me beforehand she would like to show the pictures as a yeah. sort of backdrop okay. to the whole, um, the whole little interview, whatever we want to call it this morning. So, go yes. Briefly, I can just tell you a little bit about Rwanda, because if I talk about Rwanda, I can spend more time, and I don't want to take your time. But Rwanda is, um, is uh, one of the smallest countries in Africa, uh, actually situated in uh, East Africa. Um, but some people say it's actually in the central, uh, central Africa, with um, a population of 10 million point four, and one of the densely populated countries with 469 people per square kilometer. It's a, it's a country with, the, um, it's a unique country in the sense that um, we only have one language. Uh, we, we are one and we have one language. When you travel to the south, you'll be able to speak Kenya Rwanda, which is our native language. When you go to the north, the same, east and west, the same. So. Um, we, um, yeah, our language is Kenya Rwanda, 
but our medium of instruction is in schools is English and French. So you've heard about the, our history. Our history is really not good, but we have hope, and we saw God's hand um, amidst all those situations we went through. Thank you. That's perfect, Godfrey. So um, what was it like, Penina, growing up in Rwanda? Yeah, I was born in Rwanda, and I grew up in Rwanda, and uh, really Rwanda is a beautiful country. We call it a country of a thousand hills. There is hills, there is valleys, there are, it's beautiful, it's green all, all the time from January to December. Uh, but we have problems. Uh, when I was born, uh, I was, we have like three seasons, if I can call them seasons. We have time of kingdom, time of colonialism, and time of republic. Mm -hmm. and, and I was born on the republic time. But during the republic, the republic took over after the kingdom, and we have crisis in our country, we have conflicts in our country, and many people afraid the country went in the exile in different countries uh, surrounding Rwanda. And he was born there because he was a refugee from that period. For me, I was born in, and I grew up in, with different problems. Uh, the main problem was ethnic conflict, mm -hmm. and it was really uh, perpetuated by the colonialists because during that time, they divided us because they want to rule us. And they gave us IDs with mentions of different three group, ethnic groups. One was Hutu, Tutsi, and Itwa. And it was really no good to have those mentions on our IDs because when I grew up, and when I was in school, where like a school of uh, 40 or 30 children, they could say, the Hutus please raise up, or Hutus raise up, and they count you, and they, they just write down who you are, and it was no good. If I passed my exams, I have to write down my ID on the paper I'm doing, and when you you are reading them, you are sewing it, you can say, oh, this is a Tutsi, put it aside. Just not seeing me in face to face, but you saw my papers. That's how it happened during the genocide time, because they could know you according to the, your IDs, and it was no good. So we grew up in those conflicts, and uh, it ended up by the genocide. That's what I can say, thank you. Yeah, so a real mix of living in a beautiful country with great people, but a time of great conflict. Yeah. And obviously the genocide, um, all of us here I think have heard about it. I know um, I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago and Mike spoke about it this morning. And this is very much a um, backdrop um, that is live in Rwanda. I would say every single person we met um, has been affected by the genocide and continues to be affected by the genocide. So it's very much a part, it's a, a sort of part of the living history of Rwanda that's alive today. And um, so I would love to ask you, it might be a bit of a difficult question, obviously, because we know some of your story, but um, what, what was it like being in Rwanda during the genocide, if I can ask you that? Hi, it was horrible. As you see the photo, the, the, the first photo, uh, a million of people were killed. Only during three months, 
killing a, a, a more than a million in three months mean something really big. Mm. And uh, was not easy because I'm a survivor of genocide, by the way. And uh, during that time, we are, not, we are hiding and some died that survived by the mercy of God. Uh, and Panina, just to put it in context, how old were you when it happened and what, what was your family like at that time? I was that time 27 years old. I was married. I had a children and I was pregnant. Of, I have a pregnancy of two months. Uh, was really hectful, if I can say. Yeah. And uh, we, we were based in the city of Chigari. But the, the genocide started a long time ago because uh, 90, uh, by 1990, 1990, uh, those who were in exile, because they were refused to come by peace, to come in their country, they came fighting. Yeah. And we started that war, it was just a war, and uh, we were struggling because of the war. But uh, where those, the Tutsis who were in, we were related to those who came fighting the, the, the government. So that's why they killed us, because they said we would be the supporters of them. So it uh, was really not easy during that time, because we were, we were tagged, if I can say. They, they have risks of us in each corner of the country, they have our list. And uh, in 90, some of my family went in exile. Uh, they were really lucky to go to Uganda. Mm -hmm. But those who stayed in were killed. And some really of them were killed, and relatives were killed, and the friends were killed. After genocide, we, we, we were really uh, suffering, and have pain, and sorrow, and wounds mm -hmm. because of what happened. Mm -hmm. Thank you um, for talking about that with us. It's um, obviously an incredibly difficult subject. Um, and um, Godfrey, were you um, in the country um, by the time of the genocide? Um, as Penina mentioned, um, I wouldn't say I was, uh, I was not actually in the country because our country, um, when you look at our country's history can be um, categorized in two or three phases. Mm -hmm. um, as she said, the, the monarchism during the king's you know, rule and the, um, after independence. So our country got independence in 62. Uh, uh, um, but before the, uh, the independence, there, there was a lot of conflict, a lot of massive mass killings. And uh, uh, the colonialists um, teamed up with the, uh, especially the Belgians, because uh, by that time they were the, the colonial, colonialists in the country. So they teamed with the, some uh, extremists, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and then in 59, they started you know, killing a lot of people, uh, one ethnic group. And uh, my ethnic group was actually targeted and they were killed. They, um, they had to learn, you know, to different countries. I forgot to mention that Rwanda is bordering with Uganda in the north. Um, in the south, there is Burundi. 
In the west, there's DRC, and um, in another part of the northeast is Tanzania. So my family and my grandfather was actually in the part of the north. So it was very easy to learn from the country to the neighboring country. So I was born actually as a refugee in Uganda. Mm -hmm. So, but other people, of course, Rwandese, um, my other ethnic um, um, group went to Burundi, others were not different parts, including Kenya as well. So I was born in Uganda, and uh, during that time of genocide, I was in Form 3. So uh, how old is that? Yes, you? I was 19 years. Yep. Uh, 19 years? No, 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 17 years, Form 4. Yeah. So um, I was in Uganda, but uh, we could really track what is really happening. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe I can mention that not all of my families actually left during 1959, some stayed in Rwanda, and they were killed as well. So, but I, I uh, we managed to, when we came back, actually, we managed to see, to find only two uncles that were left. Um, their wives were killed, uh, other uncles were killed, and so many relatives, actually. Mm -hmm. So I was not part in, um, I was not in Rwanda by the time of genocide, but, uh, I returned immediately after genocide in 1994, December. Yeah. Um, I was really, because when we were in refugees, we, we had a number, a lot of, you know, suffering. Uh, being in another country, um, you are not entitled to different, you know, services. You are not allowed to go to some schools unless you have to change your names. Because at times we would change, my, we change our names from a Rwandan name to a Ugandan name to make sure that they don't really uh, mistreat you. Uh, you are not allowed to you know, access some services, like medical services and all that. So, um, so when we, we heard that you know, the genocide is over, we, uh, we had to come back immediately. Um, but when I was actually in Uganda during the genocide, uh, you know, there is a lake called Lake Victoria, uh, which borders with Tanzania and Uganda. So I was very close to the Lake Tanganyika, where I was studying. And um, so people were killed in Rwanda, thrown in the river, uh, which is the river Nyabarong, and then thrown it into River Kagera, which goes to Tanzania, and then powers into Lake Victoria. So uh, for a period of three months, something that was really, really so touching and very traumatic on my side was that some Ugandan would come to say, ah, you, you guys, you, you are not good at all. Uh, you have polluted our lake. You're with so many bodies of people. And, uh, you know, the fish is being fed on, on the bodies of Rwandese. So we can't eat fish because of you. So it was a bit uh, very traumatic anyway, because so bodies of uh, of, of victims being um, coming to Uganda, and uh, then people would say, "Oh, it's, yeah. we cannot enjoy our fish because of you guys." So it was a, a bit and uh, very very traumatic, and I knew those are the bodies of our relatives, yeah. uh, which is was not true. Yeah, you don't need to turn that off in between. We'll just <laughs> leave that on. So um, I, I think, you know, we've heard it's a densely populated country and actually 14% of the population at that time was killed in 100 days. 
So it was a huge amount of people. And we were struck. There are, I think, um, over 2,000 memorial sites in Rwanda. And each of them, um, or most of them, have one uh, mass grave which is still open because they're still finding bodies. Um, so this would have had, obviously, a huge impact on people, on communities, on the church, on people's faith. So. I'd love to just ask, what, um, what has it sort of taught you, what did the genocide teach you about people, about God, about church? So just a, you know, a couple of reflections each, maybe. Thank you. That is a good question and a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, genocide taught many things to me about people. The first thing I learned from people because of genocide is that people, we ha in the people we have good and bad. Mm -hmm. And I think it is everywhere. Uh, because within Rwanda, because we were killed by our relatives, our friends, our church members, they were people who killed people. And really, it was horrible to see that. But again, we were hidden by, hidden by people who were our relatives, our, our neighbors, our church members, you know, good people from all those groups. Mm -hmm. So what I learned is that among people, we have good people and bad people. That's one thing. The second thing I learned from the genocide about people is that when you have a bad leadership, really you are in trouble. That's why maybe God requests us to pray for the leadership. And we have to be careful when we are electing our leaders. Because if we are electing bad leaders, we will really suffer. The country will suffer under their leadership. But when you have a good leadership, you have to praise God because the church, I mean, the people will, will, will really uh, will, will be good and they will praise God because they are under a good leadership. I learned that because during genocide, you have bad leadership. That's why we really suffered a lot. Mm -hmm. And they did the horrible things because they are really, uh, they, 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 it was a, a bad leadership. But now we are praising God because of good leadership. So that's why we have really all the time praying for the leadership of countries. Uh, another thing I learned from, uh, the, 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 from God, God is God all the time. Mm -hmm. During the bad time, he's God, and during good times, he's still God. We saw his hands in all those pathways, even though it was horrible, but God was there. I was thinking about it because I said, oh, where was God during uh, the time when Jesus was on the cross? He was there. He was with Jesus. That's how he was during our time during genocide. He was there and he was watching. He was watching to punish those who are committed genocide, but also he was there to take care of people who survived, because I saw many people who survived and they didn't really understand how they could survive. But now they're there and some were wounded and now they're healed. I saw the hand of God upon them. Mm -hmm. 
So God is always God. That's what I can say. Uh, About church. Church. Ha. The church is something. We we thought that people will not go back to church. Mm. But church also is, is created by God. Really, we can't say that it will be destroyed by by human beings. Because after the genocide, we thought that people will not go back to church. Because we are used, maybe we didn't tell you that, but uh, we are used to have conflict in our country several times. But when people go to church for taking their refugee, they were protected. But during genocide, things have changed. They mobilized people to go to church because they wanted to kill them within the church. It was horrible to see how things happen during genocide. They really didn't fear about God. But after genocide, we saw saw people coming again back to church, and the church continued to minister to people, and we saw that the church did a great job. I want to read something from Isaiah 61. Mm -hmm. It's for for verses, maybe Bex can help me. I don't know where Isaiah is. Here we go. From 1 to 4, 61 here. Okay, so you want me to read that? Yeah, please. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bespo- excuse me, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Yeah, this is the law of the church, and it is still the law of the church. It used to be the law of the church, it is still the law of the church, and it will be the law of the church. So we have bad people from the church, even the ministers could be bad, but it has been like this since long time, even at Jesus' time, we have Pharisees, we have the priests who were not good, but again we have people like Stephen and others who really were doing this. So this is how I see the church. Um, There's so much in that answer for us to think about and to to translate into our own situations, Panina, that's um, incredibly helpful and incredibly rich. Um, I'm aware that we would love to hear a bit about the work that you guys are doing in Tear Fund because I don't want to run out of time. So I don't know if, Godfrey, you want to start us off and just maybe tell us what your role is and just tell us what Tear Fund is actually doing in Rwanda. Okay, thank you. My role is um, I'm, I'm, I'm serving as um, programs manager for complementary interventions. But uh, complementary intervention is, uh, is our term <laughs> that would really need to be explained um, uh, because it's one of our approach of you know supporting the communities um, that have come up with some really good projects uh, like water. Uh, sanitation and hygiene projects, and also food security projects. So I'm responsible for that. Um, Just a little bit, a sort of general bit about what Tear Fund is doing in um, Rwanda. Okay. Um, 
So Tia Fund uh, has been uh, in Rwanda for since 1994 after genocide mm -hmm. uh, because they had to come over um, because after 1994, Rwanda was actually qualified to be uh, deleted on the, I think, the map of Africa because it had lost everything um, with a lot of uh, widows, with a lot of orphans, with a lot of... Uh, um, so it had nothing completed, nothing. So Tiafani came in to support, like any, any other humanitarian agency. Um, they came to support, to work alongside the church to um, support communities, um, to support those who are returning from different countries to settle, um, to um, provide clean water, um, to help them to you know, get some start up, you know, um, start a new life in the almost a new country. So we are doing, um, currently we are actually implementing food security project because as I said, our country is really, really uh, highly populated, uh, almost the second in, uh, in Africa uh, with limited land. So if we don't support our communities really to get good food, I mean to practice some improved farming practices, they cannot get enough food. So we are supporting community to get, um, to get food security. Um, we, are support, we are also working with the community to get access to clean water, um, also be um, resistant to climate change because we are also experiencing a lot of uh, effects of climate change in Rwanda because even the um, the rain pattern is changing so rapidly. So we're also supporting community to, um, um, to, you know, to conserve their environment. Those are the many, many projects I can say. Nutrition and also some sexual violence projects. Yeah, thank you. So it's amazing, isn't it, to hear there's so many different things that Tear Fund are involved with. Would you like to add something, Panina? Yes, thank you. Um, in, um, the program coordinator in charge of church and community mobilization. And uh, what we do, uh, as he said, he said that we, he's doing complementary intervention, but uh, uh, for him, he's uh, managing different projects. For now, he's managing a project uh, funded by the Scottish government. And that's why after here, he will go to visit Scottish, uh, Scotland. Which will uh, be colder than here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, I'm in charge of the church and the community mobilization program. Uh, the church and the community mobilization program is about uh, mobilizing the church for its integral mission. Because as I said, uh, God leave, uh, Jesus left us with a mission. And our mission is preaching good news to the poor. And uh, I think every, everything we read here in Isaiah 61 means what we have to do with our church and the community. So our role there is just, first of all, go to church and mobilize the church to go back to its ministry. And the ministry is holistic. We are not only preaching the gospel to the poor, the word, but again, we need to know how they are living. Uh, the, in, with the church and the community mobilization approach, we help the church to, 
to assess the needs of the church within and the needs in the community surrounding the church, and they see how they can respond to their needs. They can use their little means they have. They can help people just to, to think about what they have, because sometimes people are rich, but, but they don't know. They have some resources, but they don't know how to use them. Our role is helping them to give them new lenses, and they know that they have resources. I remember one day I was, I was just helping the, the, the church to understand that they have many resources. And I have a group of ladies who were just there, and I asked them, what do you have? We use the Bible. We use the Bible to help people to understand what they have. And they made tour around them, and there are a crippled lady. And when I saw her, I said, what is she going to say? Because I thought that she didn't have anything. But when she said, she said, do you know that I realized that I have many things? The one thing I have which can help me to survive is that I have skills. I know how to do math. And when I will get, as you said, when I will get support from others, and they brought me uh, raw material, I can just sit and do this. And if I, they give me support to take my, my product to the market, I will have money to save with them because we encourage them to save the little they have and get loan from those little and use it for different businesses or investment. So I was surprised to see that after giving that lady new lenses, she, she realized that she can do something. That is what we do with churches, and we want to see the church going out, not always sitting in. We want to see the church going out and preach the gospel to the community by word and deed. That's what we do. Thank you. So these um, church and community mobilization groups are extraordinary, and Mike and I spent our week being hosted by Panina, which was totally delightful in itself. Um, she accompanied us to all these different projects and we met so many people doing different things. I spoke a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago if you were here, from beekeeping to welding to um, tailoring to all sorts of things, farming. So they really are phenomenal in terms of turning a community, um, sort of transforming a community from the inside out. They're incredible. And so much for us to um, learn from you know, I think, how often have I sat thinking, I don't have time, I don't have resources, what can I do? I don't know if that's just me or whether that resonates with any of you, but actually, that's a real challenge for us here um, in our very wealthy situation, actually. Maybe what I can add on is that with our approach, we encourage what we call the small transformation groups. And these small transformation groups, they meet every day. It's a group of people who are poor, but who really have different skills, who have different resources, who can share those small resources and do something. They meet every week, and they don't only meet for savings, but they meet also for the word of God, for listening to each other, for counseling, for helping each other. They are really they are doing holistic work. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that's brilliant. So they meet weekly, a bit like we have something called life groups, and we're looking to sort of uh, think about those as we go forward. So just as we finish, because we are nearly running out of time, what, what can we be praying for for you and for um, Tear Fund and for Rwanda from here on? 
well, thank you so much. Um, I think what we can uh, we can pray um, as as a church. Um, we need to pray for one for many two main items. One, um, we are, Rwanda is making some really significant progress in terms of social, economic, and uh, um, and cultural, but uh, we still have some scars of genocide. Yeah. So um, much as there is um, a political will, much as people are living together, much as um, there is really a stronger possibility of reconciliation, but we need to stay, we need to pray for that, uh, so that Rwanda really, really um, can advance, can move forward. Yeah, we need to pray for that. Um, secondly, we were also experiencing um, uh, effects of climate change. Uh, we, and uh, over 8% of our people they depend on our agriculture. So if they don't get rainfall, definitely they will be starving. So, so uh, we need to pray for really um, for the climate change, really yeah. to get good rainfall, and then people can really cultivate and get a good harvest. Yeah, yeah. in fact, Mike and I were there in the rainy season, yeah. and in 10 days of the rainy season, it only rained once. Usually yeah. it rains every day. Yeah. So we experienced that firsthand. <laughs> Yeah, I want to say that Rwanda, as he said, is very populated. And about 85% of our population is living by agriculture. So if we have a problem of uh, climate change, it's a problem to the entire country. And again, those who are living by agriculture, we have problems because it's traditional. And our land is scarce if I can say. And we need really this new technology to help us to know how we can grow things good. And uh, we need this uh, mod modern agriculture technology. And uh, again, uh, you have to pray that Tia Fund and other NGOs and even the government help those people to give them new lenses Changing mindset is not something easy. Mm -hmm. Please pray, pray for us while we are helping the church to be changed fast and to be able to change many. Thank you. We would love you to pray the same for us. <laughs> I think that's a challenge in our country too, so thank you so much. Yes, um, just to also to pray for the church in Rwanda because um, Rwanda is... Um, 90, over 97% of our people are Christians. So there is a church everywhere, in every village. Um, but we want really to see the church moving yeah. everything in the country. Because the, the church had the power to influence people's attitudes, people's mindsets to move on. And the church is not a building. And actually, um, I think that was the mindset even after the genocide. Because thought, people thought that a church is just a building like this. But a church is, a, is people like you, like me. Um, and if we are, don't really move out then to, to spread the gospel, then I think things are not be able yeah. to move. Thank you. That's right. Thank you both so much. It's been um, a complete pleasure for us to listen to you as you've shared your experience, your wisdom. Um, there's so many things for us to take away and think about, uh, to pray for, to be challenged, 
to um, get going in. So thank you so much. Can we please give them a massive round of applause?